I'm Deidre. I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you a million murders. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Good. We've got Victoria with us again. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) I know. Every. Okay. So I'm going to be bringing us back to New Orleans for a Haunted New Orleans Part 2. But don't worry, there's still plenty of New Orleans ghost stories for you to do too. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's one of the most haunted cities in the world. So it doesn't matter. We've, there's plenty to go around. Okay. Also, for you guys who didn't know, which is going to be everybody pretty much. I don't know why I said it that way. Um, so our friend Houston, who has the Crime or Reason prod, prod, podcast podcast, and Drunk with Horror podcast. Po- why can I say podcast? Podcast. Um, he was telling us all these things because we just record because we have fun doing this. Like, you know, we... We're like, we don't know how many listeners we have, will have. Like, it may just be our friends listening. Mm-hmm. That's fine with us. We just do it for fun. And he was like, oh, have you all heard of Chartable? And we were like, no. And apparently, Chartable tells you whenever you chart at um in certain areas. And apparently, back in, like, June, we were number 13 in true crime in El Salvador mm-hmm. podcasting. Yeah. Victoria looked like, what? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, girl. We had no clue. So, El Salvador, if you're still listening, hello. And thank you. Thank you for listening. I mean, 13, like, that's top 20. Yeah. That's legit. I was very excited. So, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our podcast. We have fun doing it. We hope that you all enjoy it. I feel like it's like a palate cleanser for true crime stuff. And, like, it's not hardcore you know, but yeah, so we hope you guys enjoy it and yeah. thank you. Okay, so the first place I'm going to tell you about is Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop. Um, We've been there. I don't know if I tell that or not, but we have. So Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop is a bar at the end of Bourbon Street. It is the close to if not the last bar on the end of the street with an elementary school across the street from it do you remember what i'm talking about is that the one where we they were singing they singing a live band like to the left when you walked in maybe i don't know some girl it's it's really small so the bar is known for their purple everclear filled daiquiris and they're delicious i just don't like everclear yes they are really good um so It gets its name from Jean Lafitte. Uh, He was a pirate and a privateer who called New Orleans his home in the early 1800s. And, but this place was most likely built in the 1770s. So Jean Lafitte lived in the bar back when it wasn't a bar in the early 1800s. Um, This is the place we went and it was dark inside Mm -hmm. because they barely had any lighting and there wasn't any air conditioning. Yeah, I feel like it was that same one. Yeah, it was like the last stop um, one night when we were with Felicia and Felicia. (laughs) 
and me and you and Justin on that trip. So that was the last place the three of us went. So, okay. So a pirate and a privateer were essentially the same thing. A pirate worked for themselves while a privateer worked for their government. They both looted and robbed and killed, but one worked for the government. The bar is the oldest building being used as a bar in America and doesn't have any overhead lighting or air conditioning. It has exposed brick on the inside and dark wooden chairs and tables. Uh, Lafitte is believed to have been born either in France or the French colony of Saint-Dominique or Domingue, Saint-Domingue. By 1805, he operated a warehouse in New Orleans to help disperse the goods smuggled by his brother, Pierre Lafitte. After the United States government passed the Embargo Act of 1807, the Lafitte's moved their operations to an island in Barataria Bay, Louisiana. By 1810, their new port was very successful. The Lafitte's pursued a successful smuggling operation and started to engage in piracy. So they were like, we're going to do this on our own. So Lafitte became a local legend during the War of 1812 when he helped Andrew Jackson defend the city of New Orleans from capture at the hands of the British. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The current business traces its roots to Roger Tom Kaplinger, who was who in the mid 1940s turned the abandoned shop into caf- into caf- into cafe. <laughs> oh my God, into cafe Lafitte. The cafe became a popular night spot that attracted the bohemian clientele, including the gay community and celebrities like Noel Coward and Tennessee Williams, who hmm. was like, you know, yeah, a big, big name. And maybe a playwright. Yeah, Tennessee Williams was a playwright. So anyway, however, Kaplinger never held clear title to the property and the building was sold in 1953. He soon opened a second cafe at the other end of the same block named Café Lafitte, in exile, which maintains that it is the oldest gay bar in the U.S. today. You'll see many landmarks and buildings with his name in New Orleans. So, Cal, Cal, Calplinger, Calplinger? Yeah. As far as the hauntings go, the most well-known ghost in the bar is Jean Lafitte himself. The ghost of Jean Lafitte is a full-bodied apparition wearing a sailor outfit, it has never interacted with anyone or said a word to anyone, and he mainly stains, see stains in the corner, stands in the corner of the bar, staring at people until he's noticed. Then he disappears. He just has to be known. Yeah, he's like, I just want you to see my face, and then I'm gonna head out. So, uh, SpongeBob, he, I, I, I'm gonna head out. Yes, he's always seen on the first floor, most of the time near the fireplace that is inside. There's also a story or two about women getting a little pinch on their cheek in the women's bathroom. I hope that's the face cheek. <laughs> they didn't specify which. <laughs> they didn't specify which cheek it was. I'm hoping the top cheeks. I mean, <laughs> but maybe the bottom. He was a pirate. Who knows? Consent. Anyway, on the second floor of Lafitte's blacksmith shop, there's another ghost. Nobody knows who this ghost is. We only know that it is the ghost of a woman and she could have been someone who lived in there before it was turned into a business and after the Lafitte's were gone. Rumor has it that there was a woman who lived in here in the 1890s who died upstairs, but there's no credible sources that can confirm or deny this happened. 
This ghost is a little more mysterious. She has only shown herself to people on a handful of occasions, but she's talkative. People have been sitting upstairs and heard their name whispered in their ear. There is also a glowing red eyes that are apparently seen in the bar. Um, so that was the end of that. <laughs> I just realized I just ran through that. But yeah, so they hear people whispering their name in their ear. And it's this ghost woman. Then there are also glowing eyes that are apparently seen in the bar. They're usually in um, a dark corner like Lafitte. And once you make eye contact with them, they stay for a moment and then disappear. This sounds more like something demonic and not just a normal ghost sighting. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so the red eyes got me there. Yeah, the red and eyes. And they, they know the person's name. Yeah. Yeah. How do they know their name? Deidre. Well, see, well, that's supposed to be the ghostly woman, but what if it's not the woman? What if it's the demon? Victoria. What if it's the demon? As Morbid would say. Chelsea. Yeah. So, mm-mm. okay. So the next one is the Pharmacy Museum, located at 514 Charter Street. I think that's how you say it. I don't think it's Chartres. I think it's Charter Street. The New Orleans Pharmacy Museum is a popular attraction for tourists visiting New Orleans. Louis Dufilo Jr. was born in 1788 in Moran, France. He was the son of Jean Dufilo Dufilo and Jean-Marie Bonnet. Yeah, because it's not Jean. Jean-Marie Bonnet, who moved the family to New Orleans sometime between 1800 and 1803. Louis also had an older brother, whose name was also Louis. The older Louise and John opened a pharmacy at 12 Toulouse Street, and census records show that the family also lived there in 1805. In 1816, Louis Jr., the youngest, graduated from college um, at the College of Pharmacy in Paris, France. Paris. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> um, Upon his return, the two brothers started their own pharmacy at 63 Charter Street until the younger Louis started his own pharmacy at the present-day location of the Pharmacy Museum in 1823. The younger Louis went on to become America's first licensed pharmacist. Louis DeFilo married in 1819. He and his wife had seven children together, and although only four of them lived past childhood, hmm. all together... Although only four of them lived past childhood. Um, the DeFillo family lived in this location until 1855. At that time, they sold it to Felitas Dupas and her husband, Dr. Joseph Dupas, for $18,000. Dr. Dupas lived in the home until his death in 1867 from syphilis. Mm. So that's unfortunate. So... A little background about the Pharmacy Museum. One of the ghosts of the Pharmacy Museum is said to be Dr. Dupas. According to legend, Dupas imposed shocking experiments on pregnant slaves, trash, and other people who have stated that he performed voodoo rites within the property itself as well. So, but like pregnant slaves? Why? Why was it? Everybody just leave everybody alone. This is horrible. After the pharmacy closes for the day, people have seen Dr. Dupas in the old pharmacy. His ghost is seen wearing a brown suit and most oftentimes a matching brown top hat, too. His ghost appears to be of a man in his mid-60s. 
He's said to be short and stocky with a mustache. It is thought he is the ghost responsible for throwing books, moving items on display, and even triggering the alarm system when no one else is in the building. So he's just acting up. Acting up. Acting up. Okay. Next one is the LaLaurie Mansion. For almost 200 years, there have been reports of paranormal activity coming from this house. It shouldn't surprise many that many hauntings are attributed to the slaves that Madame Delphine Delphine LaLaurie kept on the property. Delphine was featured along with Marie Laveau in American Horror Story Coven, which was my favorite Hmm. of all of those because it was in New Orleans. I just, (laughs) I was like, so, um, Delphine purchased the property at 1140 Royal Street. Royal. 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 So, yes, Royal Street, which we've seen this place too. Mm-hmm. So, I haven't seen the pharmacy, but we stopped in front of um, the LaLaurie Mansion on our ghost tour the first year we went together and heard the story that we're about to tell you. So, 1140 Royal Street purchased the property where she would live with her husband and her two children. Well, two of her children. But the marriage wasn't a happy one. Neighbors overheard the couple arguing profusely, and it was almost unsurprising to them that Louis LaLaurie packed his bags and moved out sometime in the early months of 1834. So, because he was a doctor. Mm -hmm. Dr. LaLaurie. So, losing her husband reportedly drove Delphine mad. Rumors spread that she was harming her slaves, and an incident in 1833 when a young slave within the household, Leah, fell to her death in the courtyard, turned all eyes on Marie Delphine McCarty Lollerie. The council held an investigation and all of her slaves were set free. One by one, Delphine purchased them all back. So they were like, okay, first of all, this is slavery times, Mm -hmm. obviously. And people would whoop and beat and torture people. But she was so bad that they were like, we're letting your slaves go. So how bad could that have been? Yeah. Like, if people who literally think that these African people should be enslaved say they, they're they not free people, but they're not your slaves anymore. You have to set them free. But then she bought them back. So, like, hello, can we not? I can't imagine being one of her slaves and being like, thank God I'm out of there. And then she buys, she buys me back. back. <sighs> so, um, she purchased them all back. And the events within 1140 Royal Street quieted until that fateful night in 1834. On the morning of April 10th, 1834, a fire broke out at the luxurious house owned by Delphine Lollery. The fire destroyed part of the house and brought to light seven slaves who were starved, tortured, and chained in the upper part of the building. Many of the stories told about the Lollerie Mansion involve slaves being found under extreme conditions after the fire was extinguished. One version begins with the conditions of the slaves that were found when authorities arrived. The story says that one of the slaves had their bones broken numerous times and set in unnatural positions so that when she moved, her limbs remained crooked and bent, Mm. her gait reminiscent of a crab's. That's crazy. It's horrific. This is this is a really rough one. She was just trash. She was garbage. Okay. Um, another slave was said to have had a hole 
drilled into his head with a wooden spoon sticking out. An obvious attempt to stir the brains of this poor soul. Allegedly, a different person had their skin peeled back to expose the tissue and muscle to the naked eye. The story also claims that another slave had his intestines removed from his body and wrapped around his naked waist. Others, covered with honey and black ants, lived in torture. As the legend goes, the lucky ones were found dead. Their torture finally at an end. Nearly, mm. I mean, this is like, this woman was just torturing these poor slaves. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I have this in here, but what happened was, oh, wait, okay, no, I tell it. So I'll just, I'll hold off this time and I'll <laughs> actually wait because I do put all the details in here if I would trust myself. So, anyway, nearly 2,000 townspeople came to view the victims. Appalled by the wretched sight before them, the people began gathering at the Lollery Mansion in the expectation that the sheriff would arrest Delphine. However, the sheriff never arrived. As the day went on, it became apparent that any action would not happen. The crowd slowly transformed into a mob with only one thought, vengeance. So, I mean, this, I mean... It is horrible, but, like, people were outraged. Yeah. Like, the people were like, this is not okay, and we're going to do a mob. Which I'm like, good on y'all, but also, like, maybe think about, like, well, maybe I should set my slaves free. Nobody's thinking that. But, yeah. you know, they were, like, at least appalled by the, like, grotesque manner that, you know, these poor people were found. So when Madame LaLaurie managed to escape the fray, the enraged crowd attacked the now empty residence. They stripped the interior of its valuables and continued their assault by trying to dismantle the whole house by damaging the walls and the roof. By the next morning, they had nearly demolished the entire house. Like, they were pissed. They mm. were like, tear it to the ground. We don't even want this in our town anymore, in our city. So details of the fire... And the aftermath, as reported by eyewitnesses, emerged in the local newspapers during the following week. The account was soon picked up by the national publications, and Madame LaLaurie reviled as a monster, a demon in the shape of a woman, and fury escaped, itself escaped from hell. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. The fire in the kitchen... Well, the fire was ignited in the kitchen of the Grand Mansion. Allegedly, the fire started on purpose by a woman chained to a stove as punishment. The fire seemed to be an attempt to, at trying to call attention to the deplorable conditions that she and her fellow slaves endured. So, yeah, there was this woman chained to the kitchen, like to the stove, and she started the fire and honestly was like, I don't even care if I die, if yeah. I can just get everybody out of here. So, I mean, just like such a sad and miserable, you know, like existence to have to live. Yeah. You know, so despite all of the ghost stories. Oh, yeah. So basically, Madame LaLaurie gets away. Um, Shocker. Yeah. Like she got away. No one ever found her. They tried to chase her down, but... She was gone by the time everybody like caught up to her and everybody thinks that she may have just moved back to France and just lived out of her life there. But no one really knows. No one really knows what happened to her. So hopefully she just like, I don't know, 
I don't want to wish bad on anyone, but just boo. Well, she's boo. dead now, so. Yeah, she's dead now for sure. I'm sure karma caught up with her. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to think karma caught up with her one way or another. So, dis- I'm gonna find you. <laughs> get you. so, despite all of the ghost stories and paranormal happenings at the LaLaurie house, not all of the hauntings can be traced back to Madame LaLaurie and her mistreatment of slaves. In 1894, a tenant who lived at the LaLaurie mansion the house was converted into apartments, by the way, was brutally murdered in his room. They found his belongings ransacked as if someone had gone through them. The police even assumed that he was a victim of a robbery, even though nothing of value was found missing. An interesting account regarded this murder, regarding this murder deals with the police interviewing neighbors about his disappearance. One of his neighbors claimed that he was having problem with sprites in his house. Hmm. Yeah, so like spirits. His friend wrote it off as his imagination running wild with him, but he did say something interesting. He claimed that his friend told him that there was a demon in that house who wasn't going to rest until he had met his end. Hmm? Yeah, which the man did in this house. So he was like, there's a demon. He's not going to stop till I'm dead. And then he died in the house. What's going on? Mm -mm. Is it possible that at least some of the ghostly phenomena can be a result of this brutal murder? It is certainly possible. However, nobody will know for sure until a real paranormal investigation team can investigate this location. So, you know, and it's privately owned. It's owned by, it was owned by somebody in Houston back in 2016. Mm. So, which I'm like, why would you not actually, I'm not going to say, why would you not live in that mansion? Because I wouldn't want to live in the mansion. Yeah. I would not want to own the mansion. So the LaLaurie mansion was for a very brief time, also a school for all girls during the mid to late 19th century. At first, it was one of the few mixed schools in the city of New Orleans, but politics during the reconstruction era were convulted. And surely enough, soon after the school at 1140 Royal Street was converted into a strictly all-girls African-American primary school. Within a short amount of time, reports of physical assaults came to light. We know that young girls would approach their teachers, tears streaking down their faces with their sleeves rolled up. The exposed flesh of their forearms were scratched and bruised. The teachers would ask who did that to them, and they would say the same thing, that woman. Mm. Lots of people have owned the LaLaurie Mansion throughout the years, even Nicolas Cage, who has a tomb in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, or St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, shaped like a pyramid. Um, he has owned the mansion. Sometime after he owned the mansion, he filed for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So it just seems to be like a omen of bad luck. I was about to say, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just a bad luck. So, one time, a tour guide was at the LaLaurie Mansion, standing just directly across the street from the front door. To the right, another group was discussing the tragedies of the LaLauries some 50 feet away. But there, under the quiet moonlight, the story of 1834 was slowly unveiled. All of a sudden, the guide felt a tug on her messenger bag draped over her shoulder. She stopped amid her story and twisted to look over her shoulder, convinced she might find a pickpocket or someone intending to steal her things. Right in the middle of a tour, she exclaimed as she regaled us with the story. Like, right in the middle of a tour? Like, you're going to steal my stuff? And no one was there. However, she turned back around and got back into character. No less than 10 seconds later, she felt the tug again. 
Harder this time, a sharp yank. Mm-mm. Once again, <laughs> she whipped around, but no one was there. No one was there. This time, she told her tour what had happened, and their faces, she said, were priceless. Two weeks later, at the corner of Governor Nichols and Royal Street, the guide was out on the streets again, bringing another tour around. And the LaLaurie Mansion, of course, was the main hit. Mm-hmm. She had positioned her group under a set of street lamps, burnt out for weeks. She launched into the story, but the minute she said the name Leah, which is the little girl who fell from the courtyard, mm-hmm. um, the lamps flickered on. Mm. Everyone in the group paused, and a few yelped in delight. The guide went <laughs> on with, I'm not yelping with delight. I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm let, let me go get some white sage so I can cleanse myself. Um, the guide went on with the show when she said the name Leah again, or Leah again, those same lamps blew out. The light was gone. Mm-mm. So when Chelsea and I went on the tour, we were told a story about the current caretaker, mm-hmm. current caretaker. I think I said current caretaker. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, <laughs> I heard current caretaker. The current caretaker. That's my language, so I don't know what you said. <laughs> the country, so you speak fluent country, mm-hmm. which I do too. I'm not saying I'm not. But that was just funny. I just realized it It felt really rounded in my mouth, and I was like, current caretaker. Um, apparently, back in 2019, look, there I go again, telling stories already ahead of the game. This mansion was bought by a man who lives in Houston, Texas, and comes down to visit and stays in the mansion and has a caretaker while he's gone most of the year, and they have their own living quarters in the old carriage house. I wonder if you remember this story. Do you remember the story? Okay. Mm -hmm. So one night the caretaker was in the carriage house and saw that her phone was ringing. When she looked at her phone, it was the house phone from the mansion calling her. The owner was out of town and no one was in the house. Being the responsible... Being the one responsible for the house, she went over there to, you know, make sure no one had broken in. Mm -hmm. And when she got into the living room, she said a gust of wind shot through the house and slammed the door shut. Girl, that was freaky. No, ma'am. Yeah, like, the fact that the mansion's house phone was calling her. Yeah, that's creepy. Like, I'm sorry, what is going on? So those are just a couple of the many stories about haunted New Orleans. New Orleans. Yes. So that's that's all I've got for today. I hope you all enjoyed them. I love New Orleans. I do too. Spooky ooky. Daddy, won't you take me back to New, New Orleans? Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, if you have any questions, comments, requests, anything you want to talk to us about, you can email us at a million murders at gmail.com. And you can hop on, how do yawn? You can hop on over to our Instagram, check out our pictures, uh, the cases we cover. You can hop on to our Facebook page. If you haven't already liked the new page, go on ahead. If you want to start conversations. Or anything on there. If you don't have an email, you can do that too. Or if you have requests. Yes. Yes. So, thank you for tuning in. And we hope that you come back for a million million more. more. Bye. Goodbye.